Well, amen. Man, isn't it wonderful to be here? Everybody's excited. Everybody's smiling. What a joy it is to be in the Lord. Uh, it's just good to feel alive today. Uh, after so much sickness, thank you for your concern, your prayers, uh, your notes, your words of encouragement. Mother sends her uh, appreciation. She was overwhelmed by how many of you checked on her and still asking about her. And she's doing really well and uh, still recovering, but kidney stone gone. And uh, we're just praying that uh, she will continue to get better. So thank you and keep praying. Turn with me this morning to Exodus 18. Exodus 18. All week, I have uh, heard all different kinds of opinions. Opinions on immigration. Opinions on presidential orders. This morning, I walked the halls of Sunday school and uh, asked opinions. And the subject of my poll was, what's the score going to be tonight? And I've heard guys all week and the prognosticators and the former players. And I've heard everyone's ideas. I've read them online. And so this morning, uh, I went in a couple of Sunday school classes and I said, just tell me what you think. And uh, we're a little bit different than ESPN because they're in Connecticut. And uh, they have this bromance with uh, Tom Brady. Uh, I'm going to go with the first name opinion tonight. I'm going to go with my first name, not my last, on winners. And we figure, and someone said it this morning, it's definitely a sign from God that if you put Ryan and myself together, you get Matt Ryan. So that, that's a sign from God. Uh, MVP of the NFL is not too shabby. Uh, but I've heard all kinds of things. I heard one yesterday, New England 34, Atlanta 20. Here's one that I thought was the most unique. A weatherman from Atlanta uh, projected his opinion of the score of tonight's ball game based on what the weather was going to be this morning in New England and Atlanta. Atlanta was 38, New England 21. I like that. But they've still got to play four quarters. All, four, uh, all two teams, all four quarters, every second. And if you've ever watched an Alabama game, you'll know every second matters. You've got to play it. It doesn't matter. This morning, as we look in Exodus 18, and I'm not basing this on football because... There are people rioting over opinions. There are people that are giving their lives or taking lives over opinions. And this morning, and I tried my best not to go on this current path, but it was so obvious to my heart that God wanted me to preach to you this morning big, that He is bigger than our opinions. I read a story this week of a 17-year-old young man who took his own life because 
his supervisor had bullied him relentlessly to the point he didn't feel like he mattered anymore. His opinion was based on the mistreatment. They have locked her up for involuntary manslaughter for the way that she treated this young boy. Opinions can get in the way. Opinions can wreck marriages. Opinions start wars. But I want you to understand this morning, God is bigger than our opinions. He said in Acts, I mean, Acts, the Acts of the children of the Hebrews in Exodus. How about that? Exodus 18, verse 13, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from morning unto evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that you do to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that you do is not good. Now before you jump to conclusion and think Moses right, Jethro wrong, hear his heart as we read through this text today. He said, this thing that you do is not good for you will surely wear away both you and this people that is with thee for this thing is too heavy for you Thou art not alone, or not able to perform it thyself alone. Leonardo da Vinci said, The greatest deception which men incur proceeds from their opinions. We get an opinion about things and we become very dogmatic about things. All of us, and we've said it over and over, bring our own understanding into every situation. We view everything in our life based on the glasses of our background in our Christian worldview how, or lack thereof. How we look at things is based on what our parents taught us, who our siblings were, where we went to school, where we even grew up. But what I want to tell you today, that our opinions can be deceiving. The older I get, the more I realize. Have you ever just knew you saw a situation a certain way? You knew you laid that thing you're missing down in that spot. And you are willing to stake an argument and the joy of your home over the fact you said, that's where I put it. Only to find out it was completely somewhere else. You don't remember putting it there, but that's where... And then you start wanting to make excuses to avoid the very reality that your opinion was wrong. Listen, let me ease into this for you this morning. And I don't want to upset you. And I don't want everybody to leave hating me today. But you are wrong. 
and I am wrong a lot more than we are right. We see things. We understand things based on our political preferences, our deep desires of things, and we pass them off as being absolute when they are simply opinions. And I want to deal with a few things this morning to show that God is bigger than our opinion. Number one, the opinion, I can handle it. He said in verse 17, And Moses' father-in-law said, It is not good you will wear away. And all the people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for you. Verse 19, Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel. And God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. We've got to understand, in every single thing in our lives, we cannot handle it. and We must give it to God. We must give it to God. I love the fact that our whole truth you this time is built around prayer. Women, men, it's, it's about prayer. It's about families praying together. It's about men being men of, of prayer, women being women of prayer. We must understand our opinions such as I can't handle it are useless. Think about this. Burdens are great. Would you agree? Burdens can be overwhelming. But God is greater still. He said, casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. How many times? Jesus said it. God said it. Uh, The apostles wrote it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that his Yoke is easy, his burden is light. But we become so weighted down because we, we, we internalize, we mentalize, we try to synthesize our lives and all the problems to make them go away. You cannot handle it. You cannot handle grief. You cannot handle college. You cannot handle marriage. You cannot handle life. Apart from God. You say, well, people are doing it. Yeah, and look how messed up it is. That's where we're at in this world. If there's anything, Pam and I were talking about this morning, reading through the Bible, and I said, you know, this time, more than any other, I have really embraced reading through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And, And I love the part, you know, where they're going through things, but, you know, people get bogged down, me being a people, when he starts talking about dip your finger and on the left ear and the big finger and big toe and all that stuff. And, and you know, about the time I'm, I'm just kind of getting, and he's talking about, you know, the, the britches and the pomegranates and this is silver and this is gold and the sockets and all this stuff and the ephod and all the jewels and all this and all that. I began to embrace it and I began to enjoy it. I don't fully comprehend all of it. But I'll tell you what. He's a big God that knows what he's doing. That demands 
exactness because His holiness, His holiness is above all others. I've become just entrenched and, and overwhelmed by how exact our holy God is. And if He is so exact in just how a curtain should be made for the tabernacle, imagine, imagine how exact He is for the ones that He sacrificed His Son for. Imagine how absolutely sinless His Son had to be to not only fulfill the role of the high priest, but the role of the Lamb. To be the propitiation. To fulfill all the law. Everything you read in Exodus, everything you read in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Psalms, in Ezekiel, in Daniel, everywhere throughout the Bible, starting from Genesis 1 all the way through every law, in its fulfillment, you see those Ten Commandments are just a skeletal outline. Do you know how many laws that the Hebrews had? 614. Maybe 13. 613, 614. There's ceremonial law. There's dietary law. There's all these other laws. If you drag a stick in the dirt on the Sabbath, it's considered plowing and you shouldn't work. And you know, that's one thing that has overwhelmed me as well is how many times after Exodus 20, he doesn't continually dwell on adultery and he doesn't continually dwell on murder and covetousness. The one thing that keeps repeating itself more than anything else is work six days and rest. God's pretty harsh about that whole idea of worship. You see, we've got to get to a point where we start or return to bringing everything to the Lord. Give it to God. And I'm not saying Moses didn't, but it's, it's real easy when people start trusting in you. When people start seeing you in a position as pastor or Sunday school teacher or whatever position you may be in in life where you're, you're a boss, you're a teacher, uh, you're an employer, whatever, you're a parent. It's easy to become uh, embracing with the idea that I'm the final authority. That I know better than others. And Jethro saw a possible entrapment for Moses. He said, this is not good. Yes, you're, you're telling them these things. Listen, there's a lot of lost people who can tell you all about the Bible. Do you know that? I've heard people who claim to be atheists quote the scripture. They can tell you all about stuff. There's a group of scientists that are agnostic. They do not, they're not believers, but they do believe in intelligent design. There was a group met in California about 25 years ago and said, to be scientifically honest, we can no longer say that there's this intricate design without saying There must be intelligent design. But they're not believers. So there are people who embrace the whole idea that don't embrace 
God, we need to understand our burdens may be great. Mothers, you may be burdened for a child. You may be burdened for your spouse. And it's breaking you down because it has transferred into your spirit a sense of worry. Worry is a responsibility God never intended you to have. You see, when Moses shut down court and Moses walked away from that setting of judging situations going, now understand there were two million, two million people. Two million people. Now, if you take Atlanta out of the equation and take everyone else in the state of Georgia, that's what he was having to deal with. Two million people. Men, women, children. I mean, can you imagine, Jay, can you imagine having to judge two billion people? I mean, good grief. I mean, you're tired and you, you know, handle it. Can you imagine two million people? Jethro saw the downfall of trying to take the weight of this, this worry. I'm guilty. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, you're looking at the worst one of them all. Where I begin to internalize, I've laid awake at night and cost myself sleep because before I got into bed, I didn't kneel down and lay it at the altar and turn my worry into relief when I trust God. Listen, we can't handle it. You can't handle it. You worried about a job situation? You can't fix it. God can. We were sitting in the waiting room Wednesday, both my brothers and uh, Art's wife, Becky, my dad, and uh, we had just, you know, prayed with mom and kissed her and they took her into, in, into surgery and phenomenal surgeon, just wonderful surgeon, put mom at ease, but she was still really nervous, having one kidney and going into kidney stone surgery and it was really bothering her. And the, the surgeon talked to all of us before they took mom and said, now listen, we understand the situation. We've got every x-ray. We've got every ultrasound. We've got all of this. And if there's any scar tissue, if there's anything that may impede this surgery being successful, we're not going to prolong it. We're not going to try to go around it. We're just simply going to back out and figure out what we're going to do in the future. And we just won't do it. It was projected there were several stones in this one kidney. And she said it would take an hour to an hour and a half to perform the surgery. And so we're sitting in the waiting room. And I hadn't even had time to finish Becky's Diet Coke yet. And the surgeon come out. And they've got this big screen that shows you. I mean, it's like looking at your flights at the airport. It'll tell you when they're staging them. It'll tell you when they're ta- that they've entered surgery, phase one, phase two, when they're in recovery. And, and the colors were changing about every 10 minutes. And Chris, he knew how to read it from up there. I'm kind of used to Evans County Memorial, you know. So he's telling me what's going on. And all of a sudden, the surgeon pops out. She's walking through there, and you couldn't read her. And I'm like, okay, it went good. Oh, and 
my brother looked at me and raised his eye, and I looked, and I leaned over to Becky, and I said, couldn't do it. She walked up, still straight face. She said, everything went great. Couldn't have been any better. No scar tissue, straight in. There was only one stone. I took my time, looked around with a camera. Nothing else in the kidney, nothing else in the bladder, no scar tissue. Matter of fact, the stone was smaller than anticipated. We didn't have to laser it. We just grabbed it, pulled it out, and we're done. Now listen to me. They had told her multiple times there were multiple stones. They said expect scar tissue, expect all of these things. Were they wrong? Maybe not. You get where I'm going? Didn't y'all pray for my mother? Who's to say that there wasn't four stones or six stones? Who's to say there were not scar tissue? Who's to say that person, when they went back to the doctor, the tumor was gone? Who's to say that person didn't have cancer when they first diagnosed them, but now it's clean that God answered our prayer? Church, don't minimalize the bigness of God because we put more weight in the rightness or the wrongness of a doctor's opinion and I respect them. I thank God for them. But listen, they are men and women just like we are. But God's still God. God removes kidney stones. God removes cancer. You see, the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And what my whole point is... Whatever you're fretting over today, whatever it is that you feel like you just can't do it, listen, God's bigger. God's greater. We sing about it. Why don't we live about it? But not just give it to God. Share it with others. Share it with others. I asked you to pray for mom. You did. You've asked me to pray for situation. I did. I went to a a pastor's meeting back last fall, late fall, and uh, one of the things, the president of our convention, Thomas Hammond, was there and he said, I want, I want to start something. He said, we always talk about how we need to intercede and pray for one another and, you know, all that kind of stuff. He said, but I've yet to see us really doing it. And so we had to fill out, if we were willing, fill out our name and, you know, all that junk mail kind of info, uh, email address and all this stuff. Well, this, this weekend, late Friday night, I get a text. And this is what the text said. It said, hey, what you signed up for is live. Thomas Hammond's Unite Georgia Pastor Prayer Network. To see the GBC pastor you were matched as prayer partner for the month of February, go to this place, enter your cell number, and their name and information will pop up. Don't wait. Do it now. So last night, I'm sitting in my chair, or sitting in a chair, got my computer out, got my Bible out. I'm reading, I'm studying. And God said, you signed up for it. Pray for them. And then tell them you're praying for them. Well, out of the whole state of Georgia, 3,600 churches, my prayer partner for this month 
Pastor's First Baptist Church, Albany, in Leesburg, a place that was hammered by tornadoes. They're still recovering, still dealing with a lot of that. And so in just a short text, I said, Hey, Butch, this is Matt Brady. You're my prayer partner. I want you to know right now I have and I'll continue to pray that God would overwhelm your spirit with his power. He texted me back and he said, thank you. I'm praying for you now. We'll touch base this week and we'll really begin this in earnest. I wanted him to know when he stepped in that pulpit this morning, a pastor that he probably does not remember has prayed for him. You can change someone's life or they can change yours if you'll just share your burden. Jethro said, Moses, this is not good, son. You can't do this all by yourself. Listen, if you're married, God's already given you your prayer partner. I've heard people say, married people say, I don't have a prayer partner. Dude, man, you live with them. When it, listen, I, look, I got my buddies. I do. I, I mean, I can remember my dear bestest buddy, BFF, Mark calling me or come by the house. He didn't call me. We didn't have cell phones back then. Come by the house and they thought his son may have leukemia. And we got on our face before God and prayed. When they took Emily to Pensacola, I called my mom and daddy. Then I called Mark. And we prayed. But you know, when the deepest of hurt and the deepest of concern in life, because the Bible says to leave and to cleave, right? Married couple class leaders. It teaches us that, you know, this whole idea well, I'm not giving up all my friends. I'm going to tell you something. If you're not willing to give it all up for two to become one, then you're not willing to have a biblical marriage. Abraham had to leave. We have to leave and to cleave and to be what God wants us to be. If I'm truly honest, then I'm going to bring my greatest cares, my greatest concern, because who cares the most for me? The one that is joined with me. For 27 and a half years. There are things that Becky can pray with me that my mom and dad can't pray with me. There's things that we only understand because we share the burden of our children. She carries the burden along with me for church. And what I'm saying is not about me, it's about all of us. Carry one another's burdens. Share those burdens. Intercede for one another over and over and over. God tells us to do that. Jethro said, Moses, you cannot do this alone. Pastors can't do it alone. Sunday school teacher. You say, well, I, you know, it's just volunteer. Ask them. Ask them. Pray, ask them to pray with you, but listen, ask them to join in. We can't do all this alone. Ryan cannot and will not. And listen, he is phenomenal. God is doing a great work in his life and in the life of our church, but he cannot and is not the final answer to youth ministry. I was doing it 26, 27 years ago. 
I was so bad at it, God only let me do it for two years. He needs help. He's got carrots right there, step by step. He's got all these small group leaders that step by step, ones who walk along. Listen, we can't just pop up because we want to go on a trip with them. That's not youth ministry. I got news for you. Spending a week at Fuge Camp is not youth ministry. It's a very thin sliver. It's walking that day-to-day process. When these kids, listen, youth ministry is nasty, dirty, filthy, hard work. That's the same thing as evangelism. That's why nobody wants to do it. It's not just getting them to come to church, dress up, walk an aisle, say, I trust Jesus, hand them a Bible, slap them on the back, dunk them in the water, and shove them back out into the congregation. That's not evangelism. Evangelism must be intertwined. It's not evangelism then discipleship. It's evangelism and discipleship. It's both. It's a youth that comes that don't look like us, act like us, smell like us. They don't have a secure environment. They, they come from utter squalor. They come where they do not have real parental guidance. They come with all of their baggage and we love on them. We stay as long as it takes. We don't leave at a certain time. We don't get here. We do what it takes to minister to a youth, to minister to a senior adult, to minister to a child. You must be willing to do everything in your power, but you cannot do it alone. You can't handle it. Give it to God. Share it with others. And then there's those of us who say, I know what to do. I know what I think. And I know what to do. Paul Cohelo said, The world is changed by your example, not by your opinion. You hear what I just said? Do you know why everybody is on Fox and CNN and all those other places talking about giving their opinions about everything? Because that's the only place they can get, pay them. They don't have that job anymore. They're not in that position. They leave and then they write a book and they go on a speaking tour. And there are experts that come in. In in law, they call them, there's doctors that, for whatever reason, they have become the expert witness. They call them medical gunslingers that, that's all they do. They go around and they're the expert. I've had to sit and listen to them rattle off all their stuff. I was, I'm this and a fellow and this and I'm a fellowship this and all these other things and, you know, for two hours and all these other things. I know in construction business, Bill, we used to joke those who can build and those who can't go to work for Home Depot. I've walked in before and I said, well, you know, I, I need this. And then, and I learned after about two months, don't ask them any questions because they don't have any answers. But that's not the truth. And sometimes we, we discount people. The truth is, I don't know near as much as I think I do. Now chew on that for a minute. I'm not quite as smart as I give myself credit for. So what do you do? What do you do when it comes to this situation? He said it's not good. You, you, you need 
You need, and so he gave counsel to him. Jethro told him what to do. He goes, you go back to verse 16. And when they have a matter, he said, they come unto me, Moses said, I judge between one another and I do make them know the statutes of God and his law. First of all, first and foremost, listen, if we're going to understand our opinions don't matter, then we've got to know truth. If you're going to tell people about Jesus, then you've got to know the truth. He said, if you know the truth, it will set you free. Some of us are bound up by so many burdens, so much baggage. I mean, you're carrying baggage from high school. You're carrying baggage from a first marriage. You're carrying baggage from something that nobody even knows but you and God. Listen. Give it to God. Because for you to say Jesus can forgive me of everything but that, it's not to, not to be humble. That's the most arrogant, self-centered thing you can do is to be guilty in yourself when you say, God, forgive me. If God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, then you're forgiven. Does that help anybody? Is that, do you not understand that I can face tomorrow not because I have succeeded, not because I have attained, but as Paul said, no, because I know that everything, even good, even close to good, that may resemble good that I have done, is nothing but a pile of garbage in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. we got to know truth, folks. We've got to know truth. We've got to know how to pray. That's why you need to be here for small groups. Truth University. When Philip and I were talking about this a year ago, we talked about we need a name. But we don't want it just to be a name. We want it to matter. I said, what are we, what are we looking for? What are we? And, and we kept talking back and forth. Ryan was talking with me. What? And it come up with, if we're going to look at progressing, if we're going to look at growing in the Word of God, then we've got to see the Word of God as what it is, and that is truth, absolute truth, unequivocated truth, and the only truth there is. We must know truth. 1 Kings 18, 21 says this, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long will you be caught up or halt between two opinions? Some of you are not real sure about things. You're not sure about the whole idea of pro-life and pro-abortion. You're not sure about eternal security. You're not sure of where, whether people die and go to hell or that everybody ultimately in the end just goes to heaven because God is love. You're, you're not real sure about all that. Listen, I'm telling you, put your nose in this and put these on the ground and spread it before the Lord and pray this prayer. Open my heart that I may know you. And he said that his word will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We must pray as the psalmist that we would hide his words in our heart that we would not sin against God. Can y'all tell I feel better? Amen. Listen. 
when you know the truth, the truth takes center stage. And it's a lot easier to be second chair. It's a lot easier to walk in the shadows. It's a lot easier. Listen, there's some of the most intelligent, most gregarious, extrovert people in the world. But you put them on a stage and put one of these in their face and they absolutely act like they're three years old and cannot conjugate a verb. And it's like, you know, and it freaks them out. They can't handle it. They're better behind. Do you know some of the greatest musicians of all time back somebody up? Never came to the forefront. They're always, listen, Aaron, uh, uh, Moses couldn't do it by himself. You remember? They were getting beat when he got tired. Aaron and her had to lift his arms up because he couldn't do it alone. Listen, we've got to know the truth, but we've got to know the truth giver. As I said before, even Satan knows the word. He's quoted it back, mostly trying to misquote it, or he can quote it directly to most people because they don't know any different. Was it not Satan that tried to quote the truth back at Jesus? But it was taken out of context there at the temptation. And Jesus said, you know, he was humble. But do you understand every time Jesus quoted the Old Testament, he was just simply reminding them what he had already said. For the Old Testament is the words of Christ. For in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We've got to know not just the truth, but in essence, when he said the truth shall set you free, he said, I, Jesus, I will set you free. It's Jesus who can release us of our sins. It is Jesus who died for our sins. It is Jesus who, from the foundation of the world, hung eternity. We've got to know the truth giver and so Jethro said go to God Moses said I'm going to God I'm going to go to his laws and to his statutes now understand he hadn't went to the mountain yet not for the ten commandments he had been with God up there but the ten commandments had not been written on stone but how can he know the statutes and laws of God if God had not given in the Ten Commandments, as I've already said. There is an indisputable, absolute truth that exists in absolute law. We have absolute laws of physics. We have absolute laws of gravity. That you cannot, you can say there is no God and jump off the Empire State Building. You're not going to fly. And it's not the fall. It's that abrupt stop. That will get you every time. And it's because the laws of gravity cannot be bent. They cannot be changed. But you see, based on that, and based on the physics, and based on science of which God created, man just simply discovers, it tells us that a liquid versus a solid cannot support The centrality of weight, it will sink, and yet Jesus walked on it. It tells us no matter what we think, 
There is, and I, I don't want to break all you sci-fi hearts, but there is no third dimension and all this whole idea of warp speeds and time machines and all this. But you see, God can do whatever he wants because he created time. He's outside time. He sees today as real right now as he did the day Jesus hung at Calvary. As the same day as the first day of creation. For he is eternal. He's bigger. We've got to know truth. And we've got to know truth giver. But look, I want, I want you to look. So, what, what, what are you going to do? What, what's he going to do? He said, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Moses, he said, you need to go and look out. And you shall teach them ordinances and laws and shall show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth who hate covetousness and place such things over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens and let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they'll bring unto you, Moses, but every small matter they judge, so shall it be easier for yourself and they shall bear the burden with you. I'm going to tell you something. We've got to know the truth. We've got to know the truth giver, but we need to know truth followers. People who are real. I would not be, be a very good pastor if somebody walks in, let's say two weeks from now, walks down the aisle, never been here, comes, joins the church, and two weeks later I made them a Sunday school teacher over the children or over anybody. I would be remiss. I would have failed miserably as an under-shepherd if I let that happen. You say, but what if they're great? How are you going to know in two weeks? How are you going to know until you test the fruit of the tree? You see, some folks aren't called, but then there are other folks who are not real. There are people in this world, wolves, he said. Am I right? Wolves in sheep's clothing? Those of you who are shaking your head along with me, at some point in time, have felt betrayed. Do you know why the world comes crashing down? It seems like the world of the church, when a great leader falls, is because we give them too much credit. Great men are not great. They just have a more exposed position. Now, we are called to be above reproach. I, I don't mean that. We are to be examples, but I'm telling you, don't put anybody on the pedestal that only Jesus belongs. Keep your eyes on him. But no truth followers. Man, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for Esau. I'm thankful for the men of our church. Men of prayer. You see men talking about going to men's conferences and praying and doing things like that. I'm thankful for our women who are so caring to get on their face and pray. I'm thankful for these kids. I had some that some of you saw posted, we love our Pastor Matt. 
My heart was about to burst with that last night. Kids who love Jesus. Man, Eli, you killed it this morning, son. Because, listen, it's not just that it was wonderful, which it was. You need to work with Timmy. Timmy got a little flat. And, no, I'm just, just kidding. But it's your heart, son. It's your heart, knowing your testimony. You told the world, I've been saved, and you followed in believer's baptism. You are a great example. That we need to follow. He's a truth follower. A truth follower. It's not enough to have your life verse on your Twitter page. You've got to live it, church. It's not enough to say the Lord's Prayer before you take the field and then act like an idiot. It's to resemble Christ, to imitate Christ, to talk like Christ, to follow in the footprints of Jesus. And that's who you want as a partner. That's who Jethro said seek. I don't need any help. Numbers eleven fourteen said, I am not able to bear all these people alone. Moses said that. I, I can't handle all this because it's just too heavy for me. Some of you right now really believe you're the Lone Ranger. I'm reminded of one of the greatest truths of all the Old Testament, and it happened right around the time of my favorite miracle. Elijah was a great man of God. Only two men that's ever walked the face of the earth that have not yet died. And Elijah was one of them. I am convinced that it's God's sense of humor, partly because he prayed that God would kill him. You remember? Look, you think that you're less of a person because you get depressed or you get down and out. Elijah was deeply. Listen, he was clinically, physically, spiritually, emotionally a wreck. He was depressed. He was so depressed, he couldn't even, I mean, all he did was sleep. God put him to sleep. Woke him up. You know why? You know why he became depressed? He looked up at God and he said, God, do you not understand? I'm the only one you've got. I'm the only one in all of South Georgia that loves you. I'm the only one in my class that serves you. I'm the only one at my work that really loves you. God, with his holy snickers, said, Elijah, look over there. Son, look over there. And when he looked, what did he see? Not 70, not seven, not 700. He said, I have 7,000 just like you who have not kneeled to Baal. Church, we're not in this alone. We're not in this alone. There's churches all over the world today preaching Jesus. Don't focus on the negative. Don't major on the minor. Listen, no, there are men and women who are serving God all over this globe who love Jesus like we do, who live for Him every day. We do need help because you see we're weak. As I said, Aaron and her had to hold up his arms. We're wicked. Do you remember why Moses had to leave Egypt to start with? 
because he took matters in his own hands. And his opinion was, the Egyptian deserves to die. And he killed him. And Pharaoh put a bounty on his head and he had to run to the backside of the desert to escape. Listen, we do need help because we're weak. We're wicked and utterly we're worthless. Does it not just kind of, I'm not going to say rub you wrong, but is it not kind of disturbing that out of all the people in this world that's ever lived, and especially in biblical times, the one who is mentioned more as a friend of God, a man who walked with God, that God walked with him, that God used in the greatest capacity of story that has been repeated throughout time of his own chosen people, didn't get to go into the promised land. Hear me if you miss everything else I tell you this morning. You cannot fool God. And when God says something, he ain't playing. God told Moses the first time. They were bickering and whining. You brought us out to Egypt into this wilderness to die. We are thirsting to death. And God said, Moses, take the rod that is in your hand and strike the rock and out will come water. And Moses walked up, took his best Mickey Mantle stance and struck the rock. And as he struck the rock, Lo and behold, God was true, and out came water. And two million people drank to their fill. It was not too awful long later. They found themselves in the exact situation. And you know, Moses had had to listen to this for years. He had listened to them whine about just eating manna. God sent quail. He had listened to him whine about water. He had listened to him whine about leeks and onions. He'd whine about, why didn't you just leave us in bondage? And Moses was fed up. And God said, Moses, I hear them. Go speak to the rock. Moses said. He did his biggest wind up, he swung, and he struck that rock. But that's not what God told him to do. God said, Moses, speak to the rock. There's great significance. You say, what's the difference? Speak, strike, that's our problem. We think we can make our own judgments in this world. God's judgments are true. His statutes are right. His laws must be obeyed. For you see, it was a picture, it was a type and shadow of the rock that Matt read about this morning during music. Jesus is the rock. He is the cornerstone of whom this church and the world is built upon. And he only was struck down once. He died on the cross once. But now, boldly, we may come and speak to the rock. And, G, and Moses, in the face of God, disobeyed and disallowed that picture. And in so doing, God... See, we still believe it's because Charlton Heston threw down the tablets. That's what most Christians believe. Why did Moses not go in the promised land? Because he threw the Ten Commandments down. 
Well, yes, he did that. But we think that's why he didn't go. No, it's because he disobeyed God. Did not speak to the rock. You see, he was utterly worthless to God in disobedience. You are worthless outside the will of God. And there's only one solution, church. And his name is Jesus. You see, we live with this opinion, I can do whatever I want. We now call it pluralism. We call it relativism. We call it all kinds of isms. Usually if it's some kind of ism, even the best antibiotics won't get rid of it. Only Jesus can fix it. Daniel Monahan said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. But everyone is not entitled to their own facts. You hear that? Everyone's entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. There's only one truth, and that is His truth. There's only one law, and that's God's law. And there is, listen to me, judgment. Judgment. God judged Moses. How many spies went in to spy out the promised land? Twelve. How many entered? Two. Because the other ten were unfaithful. They didn't believe in how big God was. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones who entered in. Do you know it was not just that? But because of the men's unfaithfulness, because their lives did not resemble that of God's call and God's law throughout. I mean, how many times? God just opened up the earth and swallow them up. But those were the only two guys that were over the age of 21 when they left Egypt that made it into the promised land. Everyone else died in the wilderness. Where are we at in our life? Are we going to continue to base our, our lives on our opinion, what we think, what we want? He tells us in this scripture, if you do this thing, in verse 23, and God commands you so, then thou shalt be able to endure. And all this people shall also go to their place in peace. Church, we must know the truth. The truth of his laws, the truth of his judgment, and the truth that in his love there is redemption. And ultimately, hear me. You say, well, I'll wait. I'll do this. It's his choice. He calls who he calls. He calls when he calls. And if God is calling you today, I wouldn't wait. And I'm not going to wait in inviting our musicians to come. You've been living on opinion. You've been living on what you think is right. And it's time to give it to Jesus. So as they come to the instruments... Will you come to the only one that can change your life? He's bigger than your opinions. What should I do with my life? I always love to ask juniors and seniors, where are you going to school? I love to ask freshmen in college, what is your major? What are you studying? And sometimes they're not sure. And I said, that's okay as long as you're praying that God's will be done in your life. What does God want for you? 
What does God want for you in your life? What does God want in your family? What does God want in your church? What does God want with you in your community? God wants to change this world. He wants to use you. Jethro said, son, you're going to wear yourself out trying to do it all by yourself. So get a bunch. Get ones to judge thousands. Get ones to judge hundreds. Get ones to judge fifties. Listen, church, we need ministry leaders, but we need ministry activists. We need people who are going to push their Sunday school class, who are going to call others. If we keep looking and say, well, they do this and they do... Listen, it'll never get done. Church, stop with opinions. Stop trying to do it yourself. You can't fix what's broken. Know the truth. Know the truth giver. And let his life and his word change you. That he may you listen, he used Jethro. Jethro gave Moses counsel. Moses gave others counsel. They gave others. We need to be discipled that we may disciple others. May we share the truth of Jesus with a lost and dying world. If you need to come and say, God, use me, make me, mold me, change me, forgive me, save me, come to him today. Come. Come to Jesus.